electricity is not called power by coincidence. That's exactly what it is, and that's why more people should have more access to it. Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright, visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Bernice Miller-Travis. Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities. This is your host, Mike Hancocks, and joining me is my co-host, Bernice Miller-Travis. Bernice, how are you today? I'm excellent, Mike. Today we are exploring the next frontier in community energy. More specifically, we are looking at community choice aggregation and how it has the power to change the future of energy production and consumption in the United States. In episode four, we spoke with Richmond, California Mayor Tom Butt about the role that Marin Clean Energy has played in helping his city take control of the future. It was a great interview, and if you haven't done so already, please take an opportunity to listen to that podcast. We are very pleased to have as our guest today Alex DiGiorgio, the Community Development Manager at Marin Clean Energy. Welcome, Alex. Thank you so much, Bernice. Thanks, Mike. I'm thrilled to be here and really grateful to you all for covering community choice energy generally and MCE specifically. So Alex, let's start with a brief description of what Marine Clean Energy is and does. Sure, happy to do so. So Marine Clean Energy, and these days we go by the acronym MCE because our service area includes uh, much more now than, than, than Marin County. And we are a local government agency and our mission is to address climate change by reducing energy-related greenhouse gas emissions, primarily through procuring renewable energy supply and securing energy efficiency at stable and competitive rates for our customers, while also providing local and economic workforce benefits. I, I realize that's kind of a mouthful for a mission statement, so I can boil it down to really two things that MCE does. We advance sustainable development, and that would be renewable energy uh, supply, or energy efficiency. And then number two, we expand access to competitively priced renewable energy for all of the energy consumers within our service area, which today is all of Marin County and all the cities therein, as well as the Contra Costa cities of Richmond, El Cerrito in San Pablo, the city of Benicia in Solano County, and unincorporated Napa County. And I should also qualify that um, at this particular moment in time, all five cities in Napa County, all five of those incorporated jurisdictions, they've all passed ordinances to join MCE. So they will be joining MCE this year. And the same is true of two more Contra Costa cities, the lovely cities of Lafayette and Walnut Creek. So we're, we're in a, uh, a state of flux right now, but it's all because more people want access to competitively priced renewable energy. So, Alex, given that our main topic is the idea of community choice aggregation, can you explain to our audience what this is and how it works? Yeah, I'd love to. Community choice aggregation is a means by which, it's actually a policy tool, it's a means by which 
ratepayers, i.e. energy consumers, can have options for what types of resources are generating their energy. And community choice aggregators or, or CCAs, they tend to be what's known as a joint powers authority. And a joint powers authority is a collection or a collective almost of local governments, so cities and counties that band together. And so CCAs are a type of joint powers authority that deal directly with energy, in our case, electricity. And so community choice programs allow cities and counties to join together and then offer an alternative energy supply portfolio to all of the electricity consumers within their jurisdiction. That's really what CCA is. It's the public option for energy administered at the local level. And this is done in a very sophisticated relationship with the incumbent utility, that is the existing utility. In, in our neck of the woods, that would be Pacific Gas and Electric, PG&E. So MCE, like all CCAs, is both a partner and a competitor with the incumbent utility. We're a partner because the CCA is responsible for procuring energy sources, that is either generating the energy or contracting with a third party, as is done with in, in, in much of the utility world. We're responsible for securing the energy supply for our customers. But once we secure that energy supply, it's still going through the lines and wires of the incumbent utility. So in that sense, we are partners. And in fact, the incumbent utility, in our case, as I said, PG&E, is still responsible for everything except for the sourcing of the energy, for the energy procurement. The incumbent utility for our customers is still doing all of the, the billing. If there are any technical issues, you'd still call them. Um, again, really the only thing that changes is the source of the energy. And then, of course, there's the idea of having options and not just options of what type of energy you want, but what type of provider you want to be purchasing it from. And so in that sense, CCAs are competitors with the incumbent utility because the incumbent utility has its existing energy supply portfolio and the CCAs like MCE, they have their own supply portfolio. And where CCAs exist, electricity customers now can choose which provider they want to purchase their energy through. So on that sense, we're, we're definitely competitive and CCAs are, are designed to inject a little bit of competition into what has historically been a monopolized part of the economy, at least here in California. So where does the community choice come in? Is it, is it a choice at the consumer level at the or at the municipal level. So do I, as a consumer, if I'm in your service area, do I get to choose the portfolio or the mix of energy that I'm receiving? Yes, you do. Then thank, thank you for clarifying, Mike. You do. Every individual meter, that is every customer account, and, and this is both residential and commercial, they get to make their own individual choice. Um, this was all made possible, this community choice aggregation in California. It was made possible by state-level legislation that was passed in 2002. It's AB 117. And according to that legislation, wherever cities or counties form or join community choice aggregation programs, they become the default option. And this is the aspect of it that makes it a very powerful tool and also, in, in some circles, a little more controversial. That default status means that if energy consumers 
do not wish to participate with the Community Choice Program and purchase their energy supply through the Community Choice Program, then they can opt out. And if they don't opt out, then they will be, by default, purchasing energy through the Community Choice Program. Now, opting out isn't the only option. CCAs and incumbent utilities both can create a menu of options if they so choose. And MCE went ahead and did that almost from the beginning. So when Marin started, people could not only opt out to remain with PG&E's energy supply portfolio for whatever reasons they choose, but they could also opt up to a 100% renewable option. And in fact, today, MCE has two separate 100% renewable options. One is actually under construction right now because that option, which we're calling the local SOL, that's SOL, S-O-L, as in sun in Spanish, that local SOL option will not only be 100% renewable, it will also be 100% locally sourced if you consider the fine city of Novato, California, in Marin to be local to you. So again, the idea is that it's expanding choice um, for customers, both, both along the renewable energy content, along the price, or even along the geography. But in answer to Mike's question, these CCAs operate as an opt-out basis if folks don't want to participate in them. Okay, so so let's say I am a resident of Richmond, California. Briefly, how many different choices do I have? Well, wow, it's a great question, and it's 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 changed recently. So today, if you um, are a energy consumer in Richmond, California, you have MCE's default option, which is 50% renewable. We call it light green. You also have our deep green 100% renewable option. Costs about $5 more a month, and I can talk more about it later if you, if you want. Um, there will be the local sole option coming once construction is complete. So on MCE side, you've got three choices, light green, deep green, local sole. And then, of course, you've got a fourth choice where you can opt out and be back with PG&E's um, default supply portfolio, which is, I think, about 27% renewable the last time it was reported. But now PG&E has just made available two of their own um, new options, and one of them is a 100% renewable option. And this wasn't available until I think this year. And that's another example of what CCAs can do is that they not only offer their own options, but they'll even inspire the incumbent utilities to offer options that they didn't have before too. So if I'm a consumer in Richmond, California, can you just give me a ballpark idea for the typical residential customer? What is the price difference between the I would guess that the least expensive is the PG&E standard that's, that is 27% renewable versus the highest. What's the price difference between the lowest option and the highest option in terms of the most renewable and local? Give us a ballpark idea. So at this moment in time, the average residential customer is probably going to be paying, I think, about 6 to $8 more. So six to eight dollars more a month, I can go from a twenty-seven percent renewable portfolio to a hundred percent renewable portfolio. The five dollars more per month is for the MCU's one hundred percent renewable option. For light green, that's a fifty percent renewable option. That's what I said was six to eight dollars more. But I'm actually I'm doing my math in front of me, and again, this is a harder question. This is a harder question to answer than you'd think. It's actually going to be $11 more for the average customer, but I want to point out that much of most of that is actually due to an exit fee that's charged by PG&E. So almost always this is the case when we're asking a simple question. 
in the East Coast, yeah, there are some options, and I've signed up for options where my electric bill doubled, right, because of renewable options. So it didn't; it wasn't the easiest option to opt into. Yeah, but it sounds like you know these are. It's, it seems like you're talking ten, twelve, fifteen dollar difference to go from a twenty five percent to a hundred percent renewable portfolio. That's right, Mike. Yeah, all that is correct. And Alex, is it safe to say that the more people who join the CCA will bring down the cost? There are some economies of scale. Yes. So if CCAs can keep their opt-out rates low, and better yet, if they can get their opt-up rates high, then yeah, that should help to both stabilize rates and reduce them. And and part of MCE's mission is to provide stable rates. Because as I said, rates have historically changed about three to five times a year. And MCE only changes rates once a year. So it, it, it's true that, we, yeah, with, with more customers, those, those rates can come down. But one thing I would like to point out is that right now, MCE's generation rates, and these are the, the rates that actually compete with PG&E's generation rates, our generation rates today are 14% lower on average than PG&E's. The reason why our customers at this point in time are still paying a little bit more with MCE service is because of those exit fees that I mentioned. For the last two years, that is in 2004, 14 and 2015, MCE's customers collectively saved $16 million. Now, some folks saved a lot more than others, depending on their usage. But I just want to emphasize that this idea that access to renewable energy has to be more expensive, it's largely been debunked. And that's because when we've filled in that gap so that those who want renewable energy have access to it. The cost differential has not been great when it's been more expensive. And in fact, in many cases, it's been less expensive. And that also has to do with the fact that CCAs can be quite nimble and competitive because they're a public option for energy. So how are you doing with your opt-out rates? Our opt-out rates are pretty good, considering that NCE was the first community choice aggregator in the state of California. On average, our opt-out rate right now is at about 20%, maybe a little bit less. When MCE first launched service, the opt-out rate was higher than that. It was about 25% on average. And then when I say that, I mean by community, by city, by jurisdiction. And at that time, uh, not only was MCE the first in California to embark on this, but there was also a very well-financed opposition campaign to it that I would argue (laughs) distributed a lot of misinformation and false information. And so even while that was going on, the opt-out rate was still about 25%. And then in newer communities that have joined, like the city of Richmond and, and most recently, the cities of El Cerrito, San Pablo, uh, Napa County, the opt-out rates in those new communities tend to be a lot lower. We're talking less than 10% in many cases. And at the same time, the adoption rate for the voluntary slightly more expensive 100% renewable option has been higher in those communities. So when, when Richmond joined, it had one of the lowest opt-out rates, but it also had one of the highest opt-up rates. And that's the same is true in El Cerrito too. So those are both two different measures that we use. So who's, who's the opposition? Who, who's fighting this? Oh, man. <laughs> there was a ballot proposition in 2010, Proposition 16. I'd encourage your listeners to do some research on it. That I, I was in law school at the time. I've got a, I've got a law degree specialized in clean tech law and environmental law. And I was in law school in 2010 when this ballot proposition was up there. And the ballot proposition would have rewritten the California Constitution, essentially, to make community choice unworkable. I mean, it would, it would have made it so that default option, that default status didn't exist any longer. 
and that failed. And so I would say to your listeners that the folks who endorsed and supported Proposition 16, that's a good indication of who the adversaries are of community choice in California. How widely spread in California is community choice aggregation at this time? Oh man, it's spreading fast. So right now, the operational CCAs include MCE, Sonoma Clean Power, and Lancaster Choice Energy. Clean Power SF is a San Francisco-based CCA program. They are just launching now. And, and when I say just launching now, those customers, electricity customers in San Francisco who want to opt up to Clean Power SF's 100% option can already start doing so now. But they haven't done their wider enrollment for their less expensive options. So that's in San Francisco. San Mateo, they're calling themselves Peninsula Clean Energy, PCE. They plan to launch, from my understanding, is uh, this fall, fall 2016. Alameda County has been working on this for about a year and a half. And on my own time as a volunteer, I sit on the steering committee for Alameda County CCA endeavor because I live in the city of Oakland and aiming for a launch in the first quarter of 2017. And then in Los Angeles, in San Diego, in uh, lots of other areas, they're organizing this and cities are passing resolutions to pursue this. There are two tri-county efforts going on in the state right now. One is in Santa Cruz, San Benito, and Monterey. That's a tri-county effort. And then a little further south, San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, and Ventura. They're they're collaborating to launch a CCA there as well. So there are many nascent CCAs and several operational CCAs. Are you familiar with anything going on outside of California in terms of something comparable to this concept? Yeah. I wish California could take all the credit for it, but actually community choice programs, and sometimes they're called something different. They're they're sometimes called municipal choice programs, but they're uh, essentially the same thing or often operate very similarly. They've been operating in other states, about about five or six other states since the 1990s. So um, in Massachusetts, I believe it's Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New Jersey, in Illinois, and in Ohio, there are already these community choice programs that are operating. And I think other states are taking it up now. I could refer you to folks who who track this a little closer than I do outside of California, but I'm pretty sure that Colorado and maybe New York and a couple other states are looking at passing similar legislation to make community choice possible in their areas. Why is it that the community choice aggregators, seems like you're much more able to source clean energy at a lower price than the larger utility. And can you explain to our audience why that is, why you've been so successful at, at sourcing alternative renewable energy at a lower price? Yeah, that's a great question. And there are a couple of different answers to it. And w- one answer is timing of the market, uh, to be completely fair. And in the energy industry and electricity, you certainly want to procure a substantial amount in long-term contracts. And so to the extent that your long-term contracts are below the average cost of power, you're going to be seeing more competitive rates. But if between the time that you entered into contracts and now you're relying on those contracts, the price of energy has dropped, then you you lose out on, on that savings. But there is something structural about community choice programs that gives them a sustained competitive advantage. And that would really be the fact that they are public. And when I say that I'm public, I mean, there are no shareholders. So with a investor owned utility model, part of what we pay as energy consumers goes directly towards shareholder dividends, paying a profit that goes towards those who own shares. And not that there's anything wrong with that model, but that is where some of our 
our ratepayer costs go towards supporting. So with a CCA, there are no shareholders to whom we have to pay a dividend. So we can take what would have otherwise gone to shareholder profits and reinvest those in other ways, either developing more renewable energy supply or piloting new programs and innovative policies or put, giving it back to the rate base in the form of lower rates. So there's not having a shareholder profits. And then number two, as a public agency, as a local government agency, we don't pay taxes. So there's no income tax that we have to pay. And again, there's a savings there that we can pass on to our ratepayers. Also, as government agencies, you can borrow at cheaper rates. Now, today in California, there's never been a CCA that's been able to issue a bond because MC is the oldest CCA and we're only a five-year-old. But we're developing credit worthiness now and expect that uh, in the foreseeable future, we'll be able to borrow at cheaper rates like other local governments can. And then to be completely candid, CCAs, if they're like MCE or Sonoma Clean Power or Clean Power SF, they're just much smaller and they have far less overhead. So the easy example is the number of employees we have. Well, we've been growing a lot lately because we're including new communities, but our staff is still you know, a couple of dozen people. That's fewer people than PG&E has vice presidents. And there's a cost savings related there too. So um, I would say you know, size, timing of the market, and the fact that CCAs are, are public entities give them a sustained competitive advantage where they're able to procure energy with more renewable supply and still have rates that are competitive or better than the incumbent utilities. So Alex, how does a CCA impact local low-income communities, and how does it create more equitable outcomes? Ah, such a great question, Vernice, in a couple of different ways. Number one, with low-income communities and low-income ratepayers, any benefits that they would receive, like care, for example, any, public, any, any assistance programs, low-income assistance programs, those go unchanged. So anyone who's, who's, who's on those types of programs, they can still benefit from them with a CCA. Because a CCA is a government agency, if it's operating the way it should, it will be more responsive to the local rate base, that is, to the local populations. And CCA is often called the democratization of the energy economy because it is actually a democratic process. So MCE's board of directors are democratically elected leaders from each jurisdiction that we serve. So that means that Mayor Tom Butt of the fine city of Richmond, California, he's the vice chair of MCE's board. And there is a city council member or a mayor or a county board of supervisor from every single city or county that we serve and they sit on our board of directors, they don't get compensation for it, and they are ultimately accountable to their ratepayers. And they are the ones who approve MCE's policies and programs. They ultimately approve our rates. So now in low-income communities, voters there have a much more direct say in their energy policy decision-making. And also all of a CCA's board meetings and committee meetings are open to the public. So it's much more transparent. Also, because CCAs are, at least in the way that MCE operates, and, and we hope others will, is that we try to be as responsive to our local rate base as possible. So if there are issues in our service area of environmental justice issues, you know, which I think most of us would agree should often be called environmental racism issues, that's something that we have a mandate to immediately address. And we can start addressing that by developing local renewable energy production, for example, so that there are clean technology innovators coming to our area. We can take advantage of brownfield sites, such as we're doing right now, actually in the city of Richmond and also in other parts of our service area, where we can take these sites that can't be used for anything else 
and we can turn them into either a solar farm or some other type of uh, renewable resource production, and we can make it a requirement that part of the workforce be hired locally. And in fact, this is what we're doing right now at, at a project that's planned for construction in the city of Richmond called the Solar One Project. It's going to be a 10.5 megawatt photovoltaic solar project, one of the largest of its kind, one of the largest, once it's complete, it will be one of the largest solar facilities in Northern California. And MCE is, is insisting on having a 50% minimum local hire requirement with that project. And and it's always good to define the term local since uh, everyone agrees with it, but everyone tends to have a slightly different definition of it, depending on their longitude and latitude, probably. And for our purposes on the Solar One project, the workforce to satisfy that local hire requirement Someone has to be living in a zip code that's in the incorporated city of Richmond, the incorporated city of, of San Pablo, which is right next door, or unincorporated North Richmond. So that's, that's one example of how low-income communities can, can benefit from a CCA. They have more direct say in their energy policy decision-making, and hopefully there'll be more economic development opportunities available to them because the CCA will be expanding the energy economy to include more people. So, Alex, the Environmental Protection Agency has recently put out, well, I guess it's been over a year now, the Clean Power Plan. And within the Clean Power Plan is a component called the Clean Energy Incentive Program. Is that going to be something that helps to make CCAs available everywhere and are local and state policy changes that can make community choice aggregation more easily accessible to lower income residents? Oh, wow. Got another great question. So I, I, I got to be honest, I don't know much of about the details of the EPA program that you were describing, but there are certainly state and federal level actions that can be taken that will definitely help catalyze more CCA programs. And the EPA program you described before, again, if it's geared towards bringing more renewables on at a faster rate, then they will likely support community choice programs because a lot of what people want out of a community choice program and why they're organizing, whether they're an elected official or just a community advocate or a business entity, why they're organizing these is to help bring on more renewable energy onto the grid at competitive rates. But one thing that could be done at the state level would be to address what's known as the power charge indifference adjustment, the PCIA. Uh, This is the exit fee I mentioned before. And a lot of people think, and this is actually a line item on our customer's bill, a lot of people think PCIA stands for protecting corporate interests and assets, but it doesn't actually stand for that. It stands for the power charge indifference adjustment. This is something that we could talk a lot about, so I'll try not to. But by addressing that line item, that exit fee would dramatically help community choice programs because that's what's really causing the difference between whether or not they are more expensive or less expensive. And the truth is when a CCA, as you can imagine, is less expensive, even if it's only slightly less expensive, it's people are much more interested in it because obviously cost concerns are, are important to most people. But on the other side of the equation, if they're more expensive, even if they're only slightly more expensive, like less than a dollar a month more, people hear that they're more expensive. That's consistent with what the stereotype is about renewable energy, and they'll tend to opt out at faster rates. And also, to be totally candid, elected officials, they like the idea of lower rates a lot better than higher rates, <laughs> as like most of us. And they're the ones who are going to form these, these CCAs and sit on their boards, presumably. So, Alex, where can folks learn more about CCAs? So, great resources are to look at the CCAs that are in operation. So, MCE's website is www.mcecleanenergy.org. I would also encourage folks to 
go to the local energy aggregation network, Lean. The experts over at Lean, they are the, the folks who really study this on a national level. And so they'll be able to tell you in, in more detail than I can what's going on in other states. Sonoma Clean Power. And Sonoma, I would, I would, I would encourage your listeners to check out their website, Clean Power SF, check out their website. And again, look, look at the history of this. Two pieces of legislation to look at are AB 117, that's the original legislation that made this possible. And then Prop 16 gives you a good glimpse of how the battle lines were drawn uh, back then. And then another piece of legislation that never got passed was AB 2145. This was pushed in 2014, and it was basically the reincarnation of Proposition 16. And it was primarily IBEW 1245 who was pushing this. That's the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 1245. They were the original or the primary sponsors of, of that legislation, AB, 12, AB 2145. And um, if you look at, at some of the what's online about that, people will learn real quick what the different feelings are about CCA and what the larger discussion involves. So, Alex, we have a, a three quick questions called the lightning round questions. We ask every one of our guests. They're designed for kind of short answers. Okay. If you could implement one change or pick one leverage point that could lead to smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities, what would it be? This is a really good question. I mean, if I, if I, if I had to pick one, I don't want to be a broken record here, but it's giving people a choice. It's giving people an option. Cesar Chavez said it really well when he said that you cast a vote with every dollar that you spend. Well, that's not true if you have a monopolized energy economy. So giving people a choice, letting them vote with their ratepayer dollars, and I, I guess having communities look at their energy dollars, their ratepayer dollars, in a similar way that they look at their tax dollars, that this is money that we all have to spend to live the lives that we live, and so we should all have a stake and a say in how that money is invested. So then what one action could our listeners take to help build a more equitable and simple future? Start talking to your elected leaders about having energy options, meaningful energy options. Talk to your, your county boards of supervisors, your city council members, your assembly members, and your state senators. Ask them why you don't have a choice if you don't have a choice and tell them that you want one. Alex, if you're successful in the work that you're doing, what does the energy field look like 30 years from now in California? Well, <laughs> if we're successful, and certainly uh, it will be with the help of many other people, um, many consumers, many elected leaders, many community organizers and, and public advocates, if we're successful, what we will see is a future that's powered by primarily fossil-free, non-carbon polluting energy. So that's both renewable resources, but that also does leave room for other resources that are carbon-free that aren't considered renewable by California law, and that would be like large hydroelectric resources. I'm not making a, a pitch to support them, but what I'm saying is that 30 years from now, if CCAs are successful, we will have far more renewable energy online. People will be using less energy to begin with, because that's the biggest bang for the buck, obviously, when it comes to both money and greenhouse gas emissions. And we'll also see a place where Average electricity consumers are mobilized. They're mobilized like voters should be mobilized. They are active in the decision-making that affects their lives when it comes to transportation, water, how it gets where it needs to go. Because, of course, transporting and treating water is one of the, the number one energy drain in the state of California. And also people will be mobilized because they'll be 
working on projects that are closer to their own community, that they'll be more directly involved in the infrastructure that runs our lives today. Well, we will all be looking forward to that. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Mike, thanks so much. Vernice, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for the time and, and, and for the coverage. Please remind your listeners that electricity is not called power by coincidence. That's exactly what it is. And that's why more people should have more access to it. Thank you, Alex. And thank you all for joining us today on Infinite Earth Radio. Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, the Local Government Commission, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Infinite Earth Radio and Twitter by following at Infinite Earth Radio.